Hello and welcome to the Quacked Out Podcast, episode, I don't know what episode, this is the Fiesta Bowl post-game podcast. Uh, I am Charlie Folkstead, joined as always by Reed Tingley and producer Paul Crest. You may notice that this is not dropping at our usual time. This is because the Fiesta Bowl sucked and we didn't want to talk about it right when it ended. Um, Also, there wasn't much, I mean, I don't know if this is true for you guys, but Personally, I mean, there's nothing I really had to say then that I wouldn't say now, if that makes sense. Like, it was so boring and, like, obvious as to what happened that I, I didn't really have any, like, instant gut, like, reactions that I needed to get out. Yeah, I think I, well, I think I was a little less rushed just because it was, like, the end of the season and, um, yeah, you know, it, it's not like another game week was coming up and all of that. But I mean, I, I felt like there are things to talk about. Definitely, um, I was I was definitely on Twitter that night a lot, uh, going back and forth with Ducks fans just about like, what does this mean? This what does this have to say about the state of the program? What are we going to look like next year? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think especially because, um, you know, this is kind of one thing we talked about um, in the preview was like. Well, Chris Wall's teams have never really come out flat for a big game. It felt like we were a little flat in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, I think, you know, uh, I'm not sure if that means that Chris Wall's guys didn't come out for a big game as much as it might mean, like, I don't know if everyone felt like this was a big game. And maybe that's a little bit worrying, too. Yeah, I mean, I just... I first of all, I don't. I think the team came out pretty motivated. I mean, personally, I I think we looked pretty. I don't know if ready to go necessarily, but we had the energy. Um, the guys seemed like they wanted to be there. And then I think honestly, like whether it's just the the burden of traveling that much, or you know the finalization of the season, but like about halfway through the game, I mean, it was it was over. Like we weren't coming back from this um I mean evidently we didn't even score in the second half so there's your stat but like when they got the first couple turnovers and they finally stopped us from like matching them in points that's when I was like okay we just need some really we never built momentum for the rest of the game it felt like Um, yeah I mean when your two best players are your kicker and your punter it's gonna be a rough day so yeah yeah I think it was it was just a weird one I mean I thought um I guess we didn't come out flat but I thought it was disappointing our defense uh obviously had a good second half but I mean you look at like those first two drives from them to let up touchdown drives from like 70 yards Mm -hmm. that combined took off an entire quarter like 7.36 7.36 was the first one. 8.16 was the second one for time of possession for Iowa State. That felt like a real blow. Like they, I mean, you know, it felt like some of those um, Stanford games, you know, from the early 2010s, just like those drives, even though they're only worth seven points, they translate to a lot more than that because they kind of just set up um, you know, the body blows on a defense that then translate to them picking up those, you know, third and longs in the, in the late third and fourth quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so it just felt like that was a real loss uh, early on. And I was kind of disappointed after a good showing from our defense versus USC that they didn't really show up that that um, ready to go, it felt like, in that first, uh, first two drives. But then they picked themselves back up and got that big goal line stop. Oh, that was huge. Yeah. After the – which fumble was that? The Travis Dye fumble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the Travis yeah. Dye fumble. Um where they get the ball at like the 13 yard line and all they have to do is punch it in and everybody's thinking, okay, well the scoreboard's about to read Iowa state 21, Oregon seven. And this game is pretty much over. Uh, well not pretty much over, but like that would be pretty, you know, pretty tall task. Well, here we are. And you know, the ducks get their goal line stand, go 98 yards in nine plays and tie the game back up. So we're all thinking, okay, this is our turn to do something great, you know. And then two straight touchdowns. Of course, that I think that was the kickoff, right? Um, Sandwiched in there. Yeah, where it was a goes down as an onside kick, but in reality, it was just like a weird pooch kick. Um, Which is, I mean, I'm sure Mario was more focused. Mario and the rest of the staff were more focused on other parts of the team to prepare for, but. Like, you couldn't prepare for that, really. I mean, yeah. didn't USC do the same thing to us, like, the game before, or something similar? Like, uh, that was just frustrating. Yeah, I mean, and that, I, uh, you know, I mean, USC's was like a planned um, onside kick, you know, that they kind of pooched up there in a sort of unorthodox way and got it. But, I mean, at least respected that they you know, kind of had the, like, were willing to make a, a risky call there, mm-hmm. um, had the guts to do that. But then, you know, this Iowa State was just total fluke play. They're trying to play keep away from our return guys. And, you know, it just kind of bounces or floats in an awkward spot. DJ Johnson is caught off guard and then it hits, you know, just in one of those football bounce plays where it bounces backwards over his head. Yeah. Um, when, you know, all the momentum would, you know, it probably, you know, eight times out of 10 or whatever, just bounces forward out of bounds or bounces into a, a wise man or once said, you cannot predict how a football is going to bounce. Yeah. Right. So like, just catch it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Get down. It's a good that's point. That's all you got to do. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's pretty, that was a pretty I mean, that just felt like, well, we just handed them seven points for yep. no reason. Yep. Especially with like a minute 26 uh, or something left. That might not be exactly it. But uh, under two minutes left, it was like a big spot. Uh, and so that was just like such a big moment where we had to, we thought like, okay, we just put together this really good 98-yard drive. Mm-hmm. Anthony Brown was in at quarterback. He seemed like he had brought some energy to the squad, which I think we should definitely get into that QB battle more a little bit mm-hmm. um, later on. But, you know, it felt like, okay, yeah, uh, you know, this defense hasn't quite gotten over the hump other than that one goal line stop to actually stop them. But it felt like we were getting close. We were kind of making it tough on them. It also felt like, okay, our offense might actually be able to trade points here. Mm-hmm. Um other than the one die fumble, we were kind of rolling even when we had a 98-yard field. Yeah. So it felt like, 
hey, put Anthony Brown back out there. He's in his own. Uh, you know, let's drive the length of the field right here and at least get a field goal. We get the ball at half, and we're only down four or we're tied, and we're in a great spot to then, you know, go from trading points to go to, you know, trading leads, essentially. Yeah, um, and I mean, I want to mention that field goal drive real quick because while, I mean, so Iowa State does take their 14-point lead, right? Just before half, we're thinking, great, like, this is the total momentum killer, like, we're screwed, and, I mean, like, how how do you get out of this? There's no manual to get out of this kind of situation um, other than score on your next possession, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we did. So I had a lot of confidence still in the offense, um, even though they got, well, did they even get stopped? Yeah, we got stopped on fourth, yeah, because we ran into third and 12, that's right. like it, it was a promising drive, and I mean, we had a kicker, <laughs> Henry Cattleman, Cattleman, however you say it, hit what was that like a forty-seven yarder? So that was yeah. really fun. Um, yeah. I guess we just sold our souls for a kicking game. Um, I mean, that's pretty awesome though. Going forward, like yeah, yeah, because it really going into this year, it was like not only do we have a bad kicking game this year, but given that you don't. I don't know. It just, I think it had, Oregon fans had lost a lot of hope about not only like Camden Lewis, but just about finding a kicker in general. Yeah. And now we have one. So that's good news. Exactly. But I mean, to continue your synopsis, like we open the third quarter down nine points, but we get the ball first, so we're thinking, okay, you know, if we can get a drive together, at least get some points on the board, then we're, you know, within one score, we're in business. We're back in the game. Well, we went three and out. Um, or was it three and out? Or did we get yeah. one first down? No, we got one first oh, down. Oh, one first down. Yeah, we yeah. had that Jalen Red completion. Um, and then, so four and out. Um, but then, on the next drive, uh, we finally got a nice defensive stop. I was so proud. Um, we Our defense, you know, it took a little bit. It took ten plays to get there, but we made a defensive stop. So... And then Mikhail Wright, uh, or what? Who did it hit? Was did it? Yeah, hit it hit Mikhail. Yeah, okay. That's right. Um, yeah, the muffed punt, and that pretty much like. And again, the defense came up and forced a field goal. But it's like, really? I mean, th- this is where we're at here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just felt like any time we had a sliver of a chance to grab some momentum and get back in the game, we would just hurt ourselves um not even that iowa state would like do something exceptionally well it's just that we would like crap ourselves and miss out on an opportunity um and i mean four turnovers really tells the story of this game for me um and then time of possession also really it's really um five turnovers because there's the two from special teams. I think because technically they don't count that onside kick as a turnover. Oh, really? So technically it's five. But it, I yeah. guess also it's kind of four because the late Chuck pick didn't really do anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, it would have been nice to at least score at the end of the game and end on a positive right. note not get shut out in the second half. Yeah, totally. Um, or, you know, at the very least we get to, like, kick off again, try an onside kick. Like, that would be fun. But, yeah, I mean, I digress. It's it's whatever. Uh, kind of how I feel about this game in general and this season in general, really. Um, 
It's over. <laughs> it happened. At least we got some football this year. Um, but yeah, like in this game, I mean, like you said, the defense played well in the second half. I mean, we held them to six points um, total, but they and just they couldn't put get in off the some field. Really tough position too. Yeah, like off off that. Um, yeah, just had to deal with some short fields. Like off that McHale right. Uh, you know, when it hits his helmet or whatever on the punt, like, you know, that's a possession that, you know, the expected points for Iowa State is at least a field goal, maybe a touchdown. Just so, so to hold them to a field goal there is, uh, you know, equiv- is a really good defensive drive, even though it ends in three points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, like, then again, the offense comes back out and go three and out. <laughs> and Iowa State goes three and out. Okay all right, you know, maybe we'll get another chance. But for me at this point, which is at uh, one's or no, sorry, with, with like four minutes four, left yeah. in the third quarter, I mean, there is just, there's nothing to indicate to me that I should have faith in this offense. And lo and behold, we like have another kind of fluky play where we don't really know if Anthony Brown was down or not I don't think we'll ever know kind of looked like he was down but it's one of those where the call on the field is going to stand regardless yeah Um, he's somewhere in that pile and within a second of each other two things happen where he drops the ball and hits the ground and it's like who the hell knows which happened first and it's also tough with fumbles especially because like I generally and a lot of football fans do this too you generally root for like the call on the field to be a fumble just so that you know, you can have that leeway if there's a return or whatever. But in this case, it's like, it's just a dog pile of dudes. Like you can call right. it down if you thought it was down, but I mean, that's football for you. We just don't, we'll never know. Um, he was down. He was absolutely down. I think he was down. Yeah. I, th- I think he I was, think down. was down. Yeah. Me and I me mean, were watching it together and it was like, I don't know. I, if you remember, I was just like, so sure he was down. I was like, <laughs> Yeah. <sighs> yeah, there's just I like remember. every angle seemed like the same angle it's like <laughs> you don't have one more camera that shows his fucking knee yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean that whole second half though is just like it's pretty funny boring. um oh. well yeah boring i mean <laughs> I, I was um it reminds me like i remember uh in the podcast about the usc game we were like oh man like Every drive, I can't believe this was that drive where this cool thing happened. This this second half, it's like, oh, I forgot that was a drive. Oh, I forgot yeah. that was a drive too. Like, yeah, I mean that's what happens when you go zero for six on third down, and I guess we had we missed our only fourth down conversion too. Um, yeah, I mean that's a killer. Because yeah, I mean killer. let's end this real quick. I mean after the Brown fumble, it was two more three and outs for each team. And then Iowa State put together that absolute chonker of a drive. It was, uh, let's see, 13 plays, 55 yards, and eight minutes of clock the, in the fourth Yeah, quarter. I mean, the only, the only good drive of the second half, really, if you look yeah. at it, from either team. That's yeah. The, yeah, that was the only good drive. And it, even that wasn't that great of a drive. I mean, it ended up in field goal range and that's what they needed to do. So it accomplished things for them, but it wasn't, you know, they only got three points out of it. Lest, lest we forget real quick, um, just indulge me. On this massive Iowa State drive, 
we had them at third and five, and it could have been a three and out, especially when they got a false start and it moved back to third and ten. Well, they completed a pass for 11 yards for a first down. Um, instantly, we get them back into another third down, and again, they get a false start to make it third and eight. Okay, this is when we get off the field. This is when we get the ball back. This is when we get a chance to score again. Nope, nine-yard run on third and eight. Just an absolute backbreaker. Um, they then had another false start penalty. And then later in the drive, we're faced with third and seven. Well, they got five yards out of it and then made it into field goal range and kicked a field goal. It was just the most like frustrating type of drive as a defense, especially right. in the context of this game because, I mean, everybody knows what's happening. Everybody knows they're just burning clock. Um, to be honest, I was kind of surprised they didn't, go for it on that last fourth and two um, from our 22-yard line. Um, I mean, not that it really mattered, but you could have gotten a three-score lead, I guess, um, if you punch it in and burn more clock. But Well, they did get a three-score lead with the field goal. Yeah, oh, yeah, they did. Damn, i got to get better at reading at doing that. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, you look at wow. the, obviously the field goals, or I mean, obviously the turnovers are, you know, a story of the game. Time of possession is definitely a story of the game too. I mean, like we said earlier, you know, that's that last drive in the late second half for uh, Iowa State was where those, you know, two f early drives that they sustained against us kind of came back to haunt us because you look at that disparity Oregon had the ball for 17 minutes. <laughs> Iowa State had it for 43 minutes. Yep. So when you do something like that, uh, you put your defense in a really tough position where, you know, it's exactly those third and eights um, and stuff, you know, you just don't have quite the same energy to get off a pass rush and get home to the quarterback or to, you know, just hold on in coverage for that extra half second. Mm -hmm. Um and that's how, you know, a really poised and well-coached team like Iowa State strings together uh, those things and gets out on top. Um, I mean, that's that's how it felt to me was like it didn't feel like Iowa State was necessarily a better team than us uh, in like a raw sense or whatever. But, you know, they just executed a lot better. Like in total yards, the disparity wasn't that that big i felt like you know at times we were able to move the ball with them or even move the ball more effectively than they were but uh you know they just executed uh continually and tell you know i mean we we're i mean part of that of though game. is like i felt like especially with their run game they just seemed way more disciplined than us um, yeah and i know that's not necessarily the case like i'm not inside either of these programs by any means but I mean, they just seemed like the more sort of well-oiled machine of a team than us. Uh, like, we, it's not that we had any, like, disciplinary problems or penalties or anything that showed through this game, but it was more of like a, like, they seemed more prepared than we did um, for this game. And, it, I mean, they, like you said, they just executed their game plan better. I mean, it was as simple as that. When you have one of the best running backs in the nation, you don't need to do fancy stuff. I mean, Brees Hall had, like, a quiet 136, but he got the ball 34 times. <laughs> like, 
Right. He, he wasn't incredibly efficient. Like, they just kept feeding him and feeding him. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what stands out is uh, we actually we had 4.8 yards per rush. They had 4.1 yards per rush. The big difference is we rushed the ball 18 times. Mm-hmm. They rushed the ball 56 times. Yep. Yeah. That's an insane disparity. That's, you know, almost 40 more rush attempts than us. Um, yeah. And whether it was Hall or Nwangwu, their backup, um, or even when Purdy had to carry it, I mean, all three of those guys averaged over four yards a carry. That's all it really takes. I mean, nobody had a run on Iowa State longer than 19 yards the entire game. Um, but it was it was just backbreaking. I don't know. Yeah, it just felt like we never put them in a real position where they had to be uncomfortable. Yeah. The game kind of was just able to unfold in a way that was really, you know, worked out well for them, especially aided by, I mean, those things, especially like the, you know, the fumbles, I think they happen and, and that's not, you know, the most crazy thing. I mean, Travis Dias had his issues with fumbling. Whenever you run the quarterback, you know, sometimes they'll cough the ball up, um, but those two special teams ones are just like backbreakers that kind of just break either way. And you can talk about discipline or whatever, but I mean, you know, well, I, and I, I, mean, I do kind of think. With the fumble, though, like it also happened in our own red zone. Right. And that's not something you ever expect um, to face. So, yeah, I agree with you. It's just like we, I, I, it's one of those games where if you're playing like, if you're playing this in a video game, you immediately just drop the controller and you know what, run it back. Like, just let's run it back real quick. Like that was BS. <laughs> I shot myself in the foot so many times. Like, just run it back. But I mean, this is the real, real life. You don't get those kind of opportunities, right? Um, especially in a bowl game. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think, uh, and that's the thing. I mean, you know. Like like you said, it's not like we we're at practice or you know know exactly what's going on, but there was a little bit of a feeling like, um, or you know, I just wonder like, did Oregon really feel like this was a challenge for them, mm-hmm. given that a lot of these players you know already had won their Rose Bowl last year? I think you know maybe there's something that happened where these guys didn't really feel the same doubt that fueled them against a USC. Mm-hmm. I think that we maybe thought, um, you know, really believed that we could beat Iowa State. It wasn't so much a question like, is this something we can accomplish? Like I think it was versus USC or like it was in the Wisconsin Rose Bowl last year when those guys hadn't really done anything like that, won a big bowl game like that. Mm-hmm. So... I think that this group maybe just felt like, uh, you know, oh, we can. They knew they belonged in the in this game, and they maybe didn't feel a need to prove themselves in a way where I, you know, obviously this being a huge game in Iowa State's program history. Yeah. You know, they didn't. That obviously they didn't feel that way. Yeah, they obviously were not going to take this for granted. Exactly, they were going to go out there and try to play their perfect game and have complete focus and determination to do that. Um, And it's not so much that I think there's like a huge culture problem at Oregon or that it's like not understandable in any way that that happened for us, but it's just a difference in where those programs are at. And I think that, you know, showed up on the field. And I mean, like when we won 
the Pac-12 title game last year, it was like, like, see, it was, I mean, we talk about it being similar to USC in a sense of like, we were underdogs. Um, it was an important, like, loud win. I can't yeah. think of a better word than loud. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it, it was a, it was a, um, like self-fulfilling win. But last year after the Pac-12 title game, you get to look forward to the Rose Bowl, which is like, you're never going to say another game was bigger than the Rose Bowl. But right. I think it was pretty obvious that to this team, at least, um, the Pac-12 title game was more important than an empty Fiesta Bowl against yeah. a Big 12 team that we're never going to play again. Yeah, and against, I mean, you know, I I, I don't want to take anything away from Iowa State, and they deserved it totally, but, you know, Historically you do have a, a top-tier program. <laughs> right. I think there is there is just a little different level of excitement when you, you know, see Iowa State across the tunnel versus when you see a Big 12 team like Oklahoma or maybe even like a Texas. Um, or Wisconsin, for that matter. Yeah. The Big 10. Like you, yeah. Um, it's a different level. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I mean, I think that all played into this just feeling like a bit of a weird game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously, I mean, yeah, you know, there's a lot of stories. I think we should probably talk a little more about the quarterback situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people have been really critical of it, and I totally understand that. Um, I also, am, you know, just try to understand what what we were trying to do there. Um, and in some ways, I thought it, you know, I could see where they were going. I thought that Brown had played well enough in some ways to get a shot mm-hmm. in this game. And then he did do well. Um, and I wonder what would have happened, like, if those first drives of the second half had gone a little better. Yeah. Um, you know, because obviously on that, that first drive, um, it just kind of didn't get off the ground ever, fourth and seven. Then next drive, we were right up midfield with a chance to go for it from three yards out. And I think a lot of fans said, like, let's go for this. Let's go for this. How Mm -hmm. are we going to punt the ball away? Like, our offense might not get to this point again. Cristobal and staff decide to punt, and it actually works out. Defense shows up. We get the ball back, and we're at midfield again. And then Anthony Brown, third and two, runs and converts it, but – fumbles the ball right mm-hmm. um and that's when the staff decides to switch it up now when we get the ball back going into the fourth quarter and put shuck in and and it's just like i don't know what we're doing really mm-hmm. yeah um and it but, it kind of seemed like the staff didn't either now i don't want to don't quote me on that because i'm not a member of the oregon staff um and I'm sure they have some sort of plan, but like, how much of a plan do you have really? Based on what we saw in this game, like, it kind of seemed like haphazard and sort of like, like we couldn't make up our minds the entire time about who the best guy was to put out there. Well, um, and that, yeah, I mean, that just feeds into the idea like, this just had such a different feel than the Rose Bowl last year. Mm-hmm. Like we were literally 
had a quarterback competition in the middle of a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Like, it was insane. Like, it was like, is this spring practice? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you just can't really do that and be successful. But that said, it's like a, it was also a tough thing because watching the game, I didn't totally know who the best quarterback was either. Yeah, yeah. And I like, mean, even if, like you're talking about, even if it is a legit, I mean, first of all, it is a legit QB competition <clears throat> on the field in this sense, which is what you just said. But if you're crystal ball, like, is this not like practice? I mean, he would never be able to admit this publicly for fear of offending his players. But like, was this not just a pra- one long practice season? Yeah. I mean, right. and we, again, we had the youngest team in college football, right? So we're just getting young guys a lot of reps. Um, you have to play your seniors at some positions, like the guys who have been there forever, or else you're just showing your hand. Like, and, and not that it's even something to necessarily like keep super quiet about, but like, why not make this a, a practice season? Like, I think Cristobal kind of looked at this whole thing and was like, I mean, obviously, we have go- had goals to accomplish, and publicly, he's going to back those up. But I don't want to get too conspiracy theory e. But like, was this just a whole practice season? Well, yeah. I mean, I think you know, like, I mean, is it a practice season? Not necessarily. I mean, like, you still get the trophy and all that stuff. But was it a season like we viewed as the main goal was to like get experience and improve? and build for years going forward rather than win this year. I think so. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I do kind of feel like the guilt, the, it does kind of feel like looking back on the season, the only game where it felt like we were playing like 100% with the sole focus of like winning that game was USC was USC. Yeah. Um, I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like the next step in in this sort of framework that I'm thinking about is what a great time to have that sort of season. I mean, because honestly, I think we would have needed one regardless um, based on the way Shuck played this year and progressed or lack didn't progress. Um, I mean, we, we were still going to have a pretty young team. Yeah, we would have had some key guys on defense, especially back but like how much could we have really done this season? I mean, I'm thinking in a normal year this like in a full normal season this does not seem like like a New Year's 6 winning team. I think we're pretty much at the same level if we play out our schedule. Um yeah, I don't know. I honestly I don't know if we win the conference though in a full season with this team. No, I, I still think we do. I still felt like at the end of it, we were the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah, I but mean, like, is that really saying? I mean... Hmm. Well, it's saying that we should win the conference. But, but Wilner said that Stanford was the best. I don't understand. <laughs> no, but I also, like, I don't... I mean, it's just... I think this year was so weird in some ways, and... Fans should remind themselves, like, look at what happened at, like, Penn State and Michigan. Yeah. Like, this this weird offseason and, like, shortened season have had such a crazy effect on some programs. And mostly, 
we were at least able to put respectable things out on the field despite that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's tough to know what we would have looked like if we had a real off season and we have guys like Javon Holland and Penny Sewell alone were yeah. in like insanely game changing players. Like the entire dynamic of that O line changes because the thing is, it's not just like, I mean, especially with like something like the O line, it's not like you're just starting Penn A over George Moore at left tackle. You're like sliding that whole unit around. So you're basically starting Penn A over Ryan Walk. Yeah. Yeah. Over a walk on who like respect to Ryan Walk and he work you know, he works his tail off and all that, but like, you know, he's not getting drafted top three in the NFL draft, <laughs> no. obviously. Um, that's a huge upgrade. And then a guy like Javon Holland, um, I mean, it's just a game changer. Even like Thomas Graham, Brady Breeze, although that whole addition to the secondary would have been huge. Um, I think another thing about this game, too, is like you look at like this Isaac Slade ejection, huge. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is a, that's a place like we cannot lose a guy. Yeah. And, and honestly, we stepped up pretty well because the defense did end up responding in the second half. For the most part, I mean, except for that last drive, really. Um, but I mean, we went but, through that. I mean, we we dissected that a little bit, and like you yeah. got him to third and long twice. Right, and and you know, I mean, who knows? But yeah, having Isaac Slade in there versus uh, Nick Weeby, a walk on, you know, is is a big change. And like a lot of those, I mean, a lot that stuff that is just like we are not even though roster management is really what Cristobal does best probably as a coach, we are nowhere near like the Alabama level or whatever of like roster management, even just not in like, like obviously we're going to be a tier lower in in, um, talent level maybe, but like even just like that type of like not missing on linebackers so that, never in a new year six bowl do you play a walk-on regardless of like how well mm-hmm. they step up to the situation you don't play walk-ons in new year six bowls if you're if you're nick saban yeah you know unless like you know you're probably no one cares about the bowl game and half of them have opted out if you're not playing in the playoff i guess yeah but i mean <laughs> like it's it's again i think i dropped this quote on the last pod um, from Mario that said we basically lost two classes in one year yeah. to the league. Um, and we just have to eat that. Like, we just got to live with that. Um, and it's, like, I hear this a lot, too, that it affects everybody. Well, no, it doesn't. It doesn't. Not everybody has a top three pick. Not everybody yeah, has Javon fact, Holland. Not everyone no. has Thomas Graham. Like, no one else lost Penesul. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Actually, it doesn't just—it's not it, just an—it affects and, everyone thing. No, it's not that. It's a just affects us thing. Right. When, if you're speaking literally and you're like being truthful with how these rosters are composed, right, like, and throughout uh, the Pac-12, right, and even like who's getting picked above Penne? It's Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence who both played. Like Penne is yeah. probably the best player who opted out. So it has a pretty like big effect on Oregon that it doesn't have on everyone else. 
I mean, and it's like for those who know, say, it's, "Oh, it's a left tackle," like just dismiss it. I mean, we're not offensive coordinators, but like, and you you mentioned this a little bit. Like, he changes the entire way we're we're able to control the line of scrimmage. Like, yes, and it's not just that. Every day, if you're one of those, you know, if you're one of the five or six guys in the mix for starting spots at Oregon. You're also learning from and literally playing next to Panay Sewell. So you're going to get better throughout the season. Right. And you're going to, you know, pick up things along the way. Like, it's not just a better, it's not just an upgrade at left tackle. Yeah. And that goes for the rest of the guys who opted out too. I mean, Holland is like a, he, you know, he's appearing on a lot of boards. He's like a top 10 safety in the country easily. Um yeah, it could be a first-round guy or at least an early-round guy. I mean, that's like that is a big thing in and of itself as well. And you know, I mean, even a Thomas Graham is yep. a great yeah, cornerback who fits right in there with Mikhail and Diomedor. Having a third guy who's right at that level instead of like a a DJ James who will be a really good player and mm-hmm. showed some flashes, but you know, he isn't a four-year starter like Graham would have been. Yep. Yeah. yeah so. I mean, there's there's not much. I mean, we can complain about opt outs all we want, I guess, but like, it hit us especially hard. That's a really tough thing to deal with. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, I will say, like, from a personnel perspective, this is also like another question that I think a lot of people have, or concern a lot of people have had. That I thought like two just head scratching things in this game. One, the running back rotation for Dell out again. Mm-hmm. We don't really know what, like, is, you know, he's a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries, and we're still looking to see if he comes back next year. Mm-hmm. But everyone thought, okay, Die steps in, and then let's give a lot of touches to Dollars, who had kind of a breakout game against USC. Mm-hmm. We didn't really see that at all. Like, where was Sean Dollars? Where were the where were his touches? Because, yeah. like, that that is still kind of unexplainable to me or inexcusable or whatever. Like I, I don't get how you don't give Sean dollars more touches in that, in that game. Especially cause it's like, I mean, it's don't get me wrong. It was great having like, we've had a lot of great memories with die Cyrus and Verdell. Um, the first two, of course, the ones that played, it's like, what are we gaining by giving those guys touches in this game? Right. We're not gaining many yards. We're not gaining many points. Uh, we're not gaining them much like future experience for next year. Like, just put dollars in the game. I, yeah, I was I was screaming about that more so than like really definitely. any other stuff that was happening on the field. I was yeah, mad about the- that and like just the overall quarterback scenario. I was kind of just angry that we didn't have a plan. Didn't yeah, the, we had a plan. The other big one for me was like. We're still playing Happel over Bennett Williams. Yep. Yes, thank you. I'm glad you. What mentioned is this. that? Like, what I, is that? I have no, I have no explanation. Like, like that's just one of those singular things that like totally disproves our idea that this is like a practice season. Like, it doesn't, but it's just like yeah. a single point of evidence that's just like, if if this is a practice season, if we're like gaining experience, like. Why would you ever play Jordan Happel over Bennett Williams? And like, 
if you're going to take it seriously, then go all in and don't have a quarterback battle in the middle of the game. Exactly. Like, yeah. I'm totally fine with us clearly phoning it in and just doing, like, a practice kind of thing. I'm okay with that. I'm also okay with us going for it and trying to win because there's, like, no problem with winning ever. Right. Um. So just commit to one of those two things. Don't do yeah. this, like... Like what? What are you? What are you getting exactly? What are you getting out of playing Happel at this point? Like I'm not gonna act like I know better than Moorhead, or sorry, Avalos. But like from what we've seen, Bennett Williams has clearly been better better than Jordan Happel, and Happel's a senior and Williams is a junior, and I know they can both come back. But like, why are we holding out hope at this point? Right, but um, yeah, but Happel is not going to be a starter on a playoff team and like that's the goal so yeah like that you know that's like what we're building experience for is like if we can try to get to a playoff well if like Happel is not going to be a primary piece in that picture Bennett Williams could be like Mm -hmm. physically he could develop into that he totally could Mm -hmm. but like yeah I mean it's just like you can't have a quarterback competition in the middle of the game and then give screen passes to Cyrus over Sean Dollars and play Happel over Williams. Like, yeah. Mind you, this is the same Bennett Williams that was an All-American, as a, fre- a freshman All-American at Illinois in 2017. Um, right. Took a couple, you know, worked his way back up to a Power 5 level at Oregon um, after being at College of San Mateo and taking a red shirt last year. Um, so, like, let's give him... Reps, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm too yeah. distraught to keep talking about this, <laughs> especially because I don't. I mean, again, I don't fully understand what's going on. I'm not inside the organization. Well, yeah, exactly. But, it, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing with like, like the. Um, I think like kicker is a good example of that thing where it's just like people get so worked up about like the Cattleman. Camden thing like mm-hmm. how was Cattleman ever not kicking and like I get it in theory but it's like obviously there's a reason for some of this stuff yeah like more or less you know there is like some reason for it and I'm sure it you know it doesn't look exactly the way it does to us just seeing like what we're exposed to but still I mean I, it's just it's just frustrating yeah I agree um Let's get into some some news about well we'll continue on the roster theme um, but with roster news uh, ten CD eight of Scoop Duck uh, made a great list that Reed exposed me to um, just of a, a massive thread of like Oregon news of opt out or not opt outs uh, guys who were leaving guys who were staying whatnot um, so let's work through these a little bit sound good yeah that sounds great. Uh, so first off, David Davis, uh, entered the transfer portal. He and, um, who was the other one? Uh, Javon Wilson. Javon Wilson. Thank you. Um, we're kind of assuming that those are guys that Mario kind of had to be like, yeah, sorry, we need roster spots. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, pretty much. I, yeah, I mean, we'd need, we do need the roster spots, um, and so I think that's what it is. I think it's, you know, it's probably kind of mutual, just like a little bit 
uh, both we need roster spots, but also I, you know, these guys come to play football. Yeah. And eventually you get the tap on the shoulder and say, Hey, I don't think that like you're probably getting into our long term plans here. Yeah. Um, you know, let's set up a situation elsewhere. And both of them landed at Daywoods at West going to Western Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, best of luck there. He's a great dude off the field. And then Javon, I you know, I feel bad for because he's still young. Um, he's going to UNLV with Arroyo, mm-hmm. uh, so that'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, best of luck to both those guys, obviously. But yeah, I, I don't think that they, you know, have significant impacts um on the future outlook for Oregon or, you know, they weren't guys that the staff was pleading with to stay. It's kind of like this is the nature of the sport and, and something that have to, had to happen in both cases and it, you know, worked out in this way. Yeah. Only thing I have to say about that is go Hilltoppers. One of the <laughs> coolest mascots in college sports. Um Let's see, guys who are leaving for the NFL. We have Lenore, Jordan Scott, Hunter Campmoyer, and Nick Pickett. Um, the mm-hmm. first two make a lot of sense to me. Uh, Lenore is a guy who probably could have left at the beginning of this year if he really wanted to. He was yeah. maybe not at the same level as Graham, but he was considered to be pretty close. Right. Um, Jordan Scott, similar. Like He's a big body. He, if he's going to play at all in the league, he's got to get there soon, uh, sooner rather than later. And, I mean, his physical attributes are his best ones. Um, so yeah, he's, just... you know, he's got to prove it to himself sooner rather than later for executives in the league. Yeah, exactly. Especially yeah, a guy like Jordan. I just don't think he's putting that much on tape that shows something new that really changes his draft stock that much he kind of is what he is and i think you know hopefully he can find his way onto a roster spot being good at that thing as you know just a big nose tackle um which is unfortunate too because a lot of his thing this year was that he was going to come back he lost a lot of weight um and he was going to try to become just a better all-around nose tackle and things seemed like they didn't necessarily work out that way i'm no scout by any means but i mean he didn't have a great season no Um, i I mean we should really say about both these guys um you know you said on jordan like this story of this last season for him is is disappointing he turned into you know tried to turn into a pass rush guy and slimmed down and i think what really hurt him was not having that full off season strength and conditioning mm -hmm. if you're going to try to change your body like that you know, you really need to commit to it and what you lose and, um, you know, weight you have to be able to put back on in muscle to keep your power the same and all that. It just seemed like he never quite got there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jordan, you know, is a, a great duck. Uh, certainly, I mean, it's just seeing him go is definitely a, a crazy thing. Um, and I think he had such an important role in this program in changing the culture and especially in being that kind of physical anchor on the D line. He was just a guy who, when he came in, it was like, who, who else have you seen at Oregon quite like that? The Um, answer is nobody. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, it's just, uh, I mean, the pushes he got, I still remember in 2018 and that UW game. Yeah. I mean like that is, that is an iconic moment in the Cristobal era of this program. And, and honestly, in this program as a whole. Um, so, you know, respect to him and especially coming all the way from Florida. Um, 
definitely have to say that. And then, yeah, Lenore is a big guy too. Um, who, you know, he's had a pretty good career here, definitely. Um, and I think it was really cool to see him actually come back for this last year. Yeah. And I think um, he's the one who helped himself the most by coming back. Yeah, definitely. His, that, um, yeah, he, that felt like it ended a little more on a high note. Um, it, I don't think we're the same team this year without Lenore coming back. I mean, you talk about like, like we talked about with Penne and Javon and Graham. Lenore is that guy, um, you know, not quite at the level of a Penne or, or Javon probably, but I mean, his presence was, would have been missed and it was felt this year in a huge way mm -hmm. because, yeah, I mean, if you have DJ James starting at corner, it just looks a lot different. There's a lot more blown coverages and stuff. Um, even though Lenore wasn't perfect, he was pretty dang good all year. And, and him and McHale being across from one another was huge. And I also think it was nice to give McHale a year where he was a full-time starter, mm -hmm. but also didn't have to be, you know, the feature guy like that was our only lockdown corner that, you know, had to be tasked with guarding the top receiver every night. And, you know, like ha Lenore could take on that responsibility when needed. And I think that will make McHale an even better player going forward. And I think that it will make DJ James a better player when he has to step up next year and, and yep. so on. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I mean, real quick, last thing on Lenore. I mean, beyond what he gave us on the field, um, I think his legacy will be an important one. Just because, first of all, just because of the sheer amount of games he played. I mean, this guy made 33 consecutive starts uh, to end his career. That's yeah. a that's a big deal. Actually, it might have been more than that. It might have been 34. Um, like, that's a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. Also, this is kind of a novelty thing, but it's going to be more important than some people realize. Is the Agent Zero thing, like, the fact that he's the first ever Zero in Oregon history is pretty sick. Like That's I really actually, hope yeah. that turns in, I've talked about this a lot, but I hope that turns into a legacy number kind of like the seven at LSU where it always goes to an important player, kind of a, maybe someone with seniority. I'm really interested to see who gets it next year. I think it works really well for someone in the secondary, obviously. Cause like it's, you know, you're getting zero points on me type of thing. Yeah. First candidate I can think of is Mikhail. Um, I don't know. Maybe he's really, sticking with the two maybe Dante Manning as he moves into a maybe as probably a starting role um or at least a you know a yeah, guy make, who gets consistent yeah, co starter or whatever yeah yeah um I don't know maybe Verone McKinley wants to take it or something um yeah, but that, that'd be really cool I'm I'm on the lookout for that even though yes I know it's a novelty thing I don't care this is what's important to people um including myself <laughs> No, that's really? that's that's pretty cool. I actually hadn't thought about that, and that that is interesting. If that does evolve into a thing, like yeah, you know, Lenore will forever be the first person to wear that zero at Oregon, mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's fitting. Like you said, I mean, he's a he is a huge part of this whole Cristobal rebuild of the program. Yeah, absolutely huge, and and you know, he did a lot for for this program. So I think it makes sense that he kind of has that little piece of his legacy too. And I don't remember exactly what, um, sort of honors he received this year, but I mean, he was to, Oh, here it is. Uh, let's see. He was invited to the East West bowl, uh, AP pac 12 
all-conference second team and then also coaches all-conference second team. So, I mean, getting some accolades, good for him. Don't, don't forget, year, though, Andrew Nemec said he didn't have a very good year. Oh, well, scratch everything I just <laughs> said then. I mean, I guess he'll go down in infamy. Um, Andrew Nemec says a lot of things. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe a little too much. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, one guy we haven't are uh, have we heard about him? I haven't checked the list. Um, what's up with Devin Williams? Is he coming back next year? Is he not? I mean, I think That's he could totally. It, yeah, it seems like he's coming back. Seems I mean, like he's going back. His athleticism totally showed this year at some points, but I just don't see. I didn't see the consistency that would warrant like any sort of NFL attention yet. So uh, yeah, I mean, I'm assuming he comes back. Um, that would yeah. be great. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. Um, yeah, he only started in like two games, and that was because Michael Pittman was out. Um, wide receiver wise, Johnny Johnson is like, we, who knows? Yeah. Um, Again, yeah, you have both, to start thinking of these seniors in the context of like they can stay if they want to, right? Even though Johnny yeah, Johnson's they been don't, here forever, and that, we don't have to. And those, if they stay an extra year, it doesn't affect your scholarship numbers too. Yeah, so they can stay, no consequences. So that's pretty big. And yeah, Red and Johnson are both up in the air. We're waiting for news on them. I mean, yeah, you know, you guys can get a little more inside scoop if you're on Scoop Duck and stuff, but we probably shouldn't like share that stuff too much. But yeah. those are that's up in there. We'll probably find out soon. Um, so let's talk about we briefly uh, we kind of skipped over this, but um, Camp Moyer and Pickett. I don't yeah. know how much NFL attention these guys are going to get. I love them um, as Oregon players, and they've had a lot of really important moments in this yeah. program, but I, yeah. I really don't know how much they're going to be able to do at the next level. Um, yeah. And I'm totally willing to be proved wrong by that. But to me, they just yeah, didn't seem like definitely, NFL definitely, definitely rooting for them. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I think pickets makes a little more sense to me um, because I think that he has kind of done what he could at Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um developed into like a good rotation player um i don't think you know he has that much left on his ceiling totally um and i think it also is kind of fitting that he goes out with lenore and scott and um fall you and you know like that group like it it makes sense like i think those guys moving on and a kind of younger people stepping in um will not be a bad thing necessarily um, and obviously root for him, like you said, and then Camp Moyer, uh, I, you know, I actually did feel like he had a little left in him mm-hmm. that this year was a really big deal for him where he actually could catch the ball and stuff. Um, and like he was still developing in that way that was cool and exciting. So I thought he could have been a big contributor next year and like, we kind of maybe need tight end help. And he um, had a short year this year. He only played four games, right? Five yeah. games. Um, but he put some good stuff on tape run blocking and he showed he can catch a ball when it's, you know, uh, well enough to gain, gain a few yards here and there. And so all that's, you know, good enough that I guess, you know, someone said, Hey, you could maybe get to the NFL this year if you leave right now. Um, and I certainly can't judge anyone for that. I mean, if I was looking like I could get to the NFL and, and, 
you know, slide into the draft there and sign a contract for however, whatever absurd amount then, of money. Yes, you do it. Yeah. You know, you do it and best of luck to those guys. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, follow you going is a big one on the D line mm-hmm. that was up in the air. That news breaking is pretty big, definitely. But younger guys had slowly kind of progressed over those older guys on the D line, anyways, really. Scott and Fallu were kind of um not even, you know, definitive ones by the end of the year, really. Christian Williams and Dorless and Brandon Dorless is now a starter, baby. Yeah. This is your yeah. dream. Right, yeah. You know, don't get me wrong, guys. I, I hope we get <laughs> JTT and everything. But if JTT cuts into Dorless's minutes, no, I no. swear to God. Not okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, thanks for grabbing value. I forgot about that. Um, uh, so let's talk then, about some guys that are returning. Yeah. Um, I feel like you were about to mention this. Popo Malve is coming back. That's huge yeah. for the D-line, Yeah. Um, especially with Jordan leaving. He's pretty much the starting nose tackle. Although mm-hmm. Christian Williams, is, I mean, we've been talking him up all year. He's been playing great. Um, yeah. when he's been forced into those things. so Totally. Um, and Keon Ware-Hudson is another guy that, you know, is going to be a depth guy there going forward. So I feel, go- I feel good about, uh, with Popo coming back, I feel really good about the D-line, even with Scott and Falu leaving. Yep. Um, moving back a little bit, Drew Mathis um, is coming back uh, for his sixth year in the program now. Yeah. Redshirted in 2016. He's been playing ever since then, so... Good for him. I mean, I I think that's a good indicator. You know, there's no reason not to come back. Uh, And so I'm really happy for him. And, you know, I'm excited to see what he can do. Obviously not necessarily a starting level guy now that Noah Sewell is here. And once Justin Flo returns to health, probably. Um, And, you know, ISM and MJ Cunningham are still viable options as well. But, I mean, he's a great rotation guy. Great for experience overall for the defense. Um, so yeah, that, that's always a good sign. Yeah. I, I think I feel good just knowing, like, I think Noah Sewell and Flo are going to get their snaps. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a question, like if one of them go out with targeting or whatever, or are, are unavailable for any reason, like Mathis stepping in is like better than not having Mathis there, Yeah, uh, you know, but like, I I think that I've been a little like the development with Mathis hasn't really come through to the level that I that I and like a lot of people have hoped it would. So mm-hmm. I think that's like you know it's it's always good if someone returns for depth and everything. But it's not like I think he's going to have a real shot at the starting job nor like should he. Yeah. You know. I agree. Um and then also the last guy I want to mention as a returner, DJ Johnson is coming back. Um, Hell yeah. For another year at tight end, as he announced on Instagram. So good for him. Um, we saw him play, I think, better than everybody expected, uh, especially being in a really tough spot to start the season as the starting oh, yeah. tight end. Totally. So, yeah, great for him. Um, of course, moved over from defensive end to a tight end. So, yeah, great for DJ, and let's hope he keeps playing well. I think he's a huge guy to monitor who could pop next season. Just getting this full off season there because he has just like his burst, mm-hmm. his physicality, like can't you can't teach those things at all. Like so if he really gets in there and now Camp Moyer leaving, like DJ Johnson could be a real 
tight end one if he learns how to run routes well like learns the you know schematic parts of the offense and and some of those things really learns the position i think that he could be a like a really good player because when he i mean you just saw it a few times this year like he just catches that ball and turns up field and it's like whoa yeah you know that does not look like a tight end yeah I mean, he, yeah. he wasn't, right. <laughs> um, but he's got the run blocking down. I mean, all the time from anyone who uh, has watched some tape this season. I mean, DJ Johnson's run blocking is a force to be reckoned with at times. He blows people up. Um, yeah. So yeah, good to see him coming back. Um, we had I questions. Th- uh, okay, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, no, you, you go. I'll say something at the end. Okay, um, that's pretty much it for player news-wise. Um, not much recruiting news this week other than Jadarius Perkins has been in a really peculiar spot um, where we don't really know what he's going to do even though we have, what is it, four days now to, <laughs> to learn what he's going to do. Um, so I guess we'll just sit and wait for the decision on that. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't want to put... I, don't get me wrong. I don't think we should be putting any pressure on him or anything. Like, there's nothing we should be doing about this scenario. Um, let's just hope he chooses the Ducks and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's weird. He's kind of in and out. Who knows, like, how this will end up. It feels like people feel good about it, then they feel bad about it. I think he's not, like, it's just like we have to keep in mind, he's not like a five-star. This isn't like... He, he's not an essential piece of our class, and mm-hmm. I think that we'll be able to find another body, another guy who's, you know, like has the necessary athleticism and ball skills and all that to, like, contribute down the line. So I don't think it's like a make-or-break recruitment. If he does hop in, that would be good. If not, that's, like, not the worst thing in the world. And I think in general with recruiting news, that's stuff that probably will pick up um, you know, throughout this next month, uh, as we transition from the off season and we kind of sure up some of this coaching stuff. Yeah. Um, other bits of recruiting nuggets. Um, Jordan Moko, I think is going to come to Oregon. Um, yeah. As a what offensive lineman. Yeah. Um, so that, that'll be nice to add some depth and then jury's still out, as you said on JTT, but that would be an absolute like, like fall to your knees, praise the Lord, thank you so much. Um, I can't believe he chose Oregon type thing. Um, one, one other thing we should mention is like, um, is since uh, since we recorded Corey Foreman committed to USC, that's a pretty big oh, thing, obviously. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, him and JTT are are pretty much one A one B in terms of the best players in the country in both similar positions. Um, and also on USC in general, they had a lot of opt-outs, uh, too. They had Amon Ra's gone, DT, mm-hmm. uh, Thule is gone. Their offensive tackle, Vera Tucker, Hufunga at safety is gone. Um, Tyler, Tyler Vons is gone. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and I think a few other transfers and stuff. So, it's, you know, that's obviously something big to track, especially 
for me, it feels like Washington is kind of falling down a little bit. They haven't kept up recruiting at that same level. So in terms of the arms race in the Pac-12, USC is really the foe to watch and measure ourselves against. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I mean, so, yeah. like, big picture, I mean, if Foreman was going to choose a school that wasn't Oregon, like, you know what? I do want him at USC. I want the Pac-12 on the map in any way possible. I really don't care if it means we have more competition. That's honestly a good thing. Um, considering the trajectory of most schools right now in the pack, I mean, I, I'm okay with him staying at USC. It, it, we need, like, I feel like getting eyeballs on the Pac-12 is more important than, like, us beating USC, like, worse than we would. <laughs> and we don't right. even have USC on our schedule for, like, three more years. So just see him in the title game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're going to get to that point, like, yeah, I mean, the goal, I think, for a lot of us is like, can we ever win a national title or win a national title in these next five years or whatever when Cristobal is here, um, you know, or, or however long that is. But like, yeah, I don't think USC is what's going to stand in the way of that. Like yeah. if we lose to USC in the in the Pac-12 title game, we weren't good we enough. Probably to weren't beating <laughs> Saban and Bama or whoever in the playoff. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so I think that's I think that's a good point, and yeah, I mean the Pac-12 definitely is in a little bit of a risk of falling out of of relevance and just being considered like a you know not even a Power Five league and all that stuff. And when you land some, when you see those people like Corey Foreman on a roster, um, it just becomes pretty tough to say that it's not a power five league because obviously you don't see those players at, um, at many group of five schools. And last thing I'll say about Foreman, I mean, he had a pretty good model ahead of him and so to speak with Thibodeau. Um, yeah, like you can be dominant at this position in this conference right. period. Yeah. I mean, you can't say that about going to the SEC or Big Ten necessarily. Um, so, yeah, good for right. him. Yeah. yeah, it's a little different. It's just, I mean, Saban's probably going to get you in the league and a first-round pick, but, like, you've also probably – you rarely see D linemen become, like, Chase Young at Bama. Yeah, like, you they're know, never that guy on the team. But, I mean, Kayvon yeah. is, like, the face of this team this year. He's the one who gets the features. Right, exactly. He's the one who's on, like, the covers and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I also will say, just in terms of that battle, like, I mean, the good news is we recruited Kingsley and Bram Walden as tackles in this class who are both, like, really, really good players. Mm-hmm. Um, and USC did not pick up those caliber players on their O-line. So I think that we'll be fine winning that battle, really. I don't think that we're the team that's going to get exposed uh, by, a pa- by a good pass rush in Pac-12 championship games for years to come. Let's just say that. I like that analysis. That's good. <laughs> um, shoot, I mean... Uh, that's pretty much what I got for recruiting. Anything else you want to touch on before we get to some Andy Avalos? Yeah, I think Andy Avalos is really the last thing we should hit. Um, so 
our guy Andy, we love him so much. Uh, he's been here for <laughs> two long years, uh, and it might be, or maybe they're short. I can't decide. Um, <laughs> he will. Uh, if I had to bet on it, I think he's moving on to Boise State, um, who of course had their coach poached by Auburn, and now tried to go after Kellen Moore, and he's staying with the Cowboys. So it's pretty much down to Avalos and what's his face from wherever. Jeff uh, Choate. Thank you. Uh, from Wyoming? Montana, Montana State. Montana State. State. Yeah. Yep. Um, shout out Montana. Great state. Just kidding. Beautiful uh, state. It's a beautiful it is, state. Yes, beautiful state. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, the Montana hate. Um, if I'm Andy Avalos like, and they offer me this job, I'm taking it. I mean, yeah. this is the natural progression of a coach, uh, of a football coach. Um, yeah, there's really no reason not to take that job. It's at his alma mater. I mean, it's at a place he's already coached at. Uh, it, it just makes the most sense for him in his career. So if he if he takes that, best of luck. Um, I think he's building something really special at Oregon on defense. But again, even if he leaves, that doesn't necessitate that the defense goes with him or even that coaches go with him. Right. And I also would say it's actually good for Oregon if he does have success. And given the track record at Boise and, you know, that I think pretty highly of him as a coach, I think he will have success. Yeah. And that just increases our ability to pull other top coordinators if we say, like, you can learn how to be a head guy from uh, Cristobal, like learn those kind of CEO roster management stuff that Cristobal does as well mm-hmm. as almost anyone. And then we're going to put you in position to get a high level group of five job or power five job. Um, you know, that just means like that. That's basically all a coordinator could look for really in the, in the position that they're going to do, learn those skills as a head coach and, you know, get a job, get a good job offer. And we really, I mean, we pretty much set that up with Arroyo. UNLV is probably as high as he's getting, mm-hmm. you know, Avalos Boise state is basically the dream next step for him. And, and he probably could have got a job like the Arizona job or a PAC 12 job, honestly, in a couple of years or whatever. Like I think he could be in the mix for a group for a power five job. Totally. And Moorhead, same deal. It, I think Moorhead is get is going to get a job after um, being at Oregon. And yeah, that's kind of the assumption. Next few years. It? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's. We can't really tell from what he's seen. We've seen so far, especially this season, especially with the quarterback stuff going on. But I mean, I, I think he's totally good enough um, to get a job somewhere else. I mean, he wasn't like. He wasn't. Um, very successful at Mississippi State. He, no, he, exactly. I mean, I'm trying to say like he wasn't bottom of the barrel. Uh, no, Mississippi and, and State. it's also and that's a terrible State. place. And, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a terrible I mean, place to be head coach. <laughs> I mean, just talk about having like all the pressure in the world to do well, and then like literally not being able to, no matter how good. Like the ceiling at Mississippi State will never be as good as Alabama. Or yeah. even A and M for and LSU, like you're just. I'm sorry, you're not. I, I hope I'm not offending well, like the another Dak years entire probably. state. I but. mean, not better than Alabama, but 
know. The doc what? They went 8 and 0 and then like the season disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It was fun yeah, while it I lasted. Mean, <laughs> was it? Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean having Bama LSU, Auburn and A&M in your division and having the resource of Mississippi State is just going to be a tough sell. Tough yeah. tough to get in that position to Plus they have the invincible Mike Leach there. So Right. Yeah, yeah, can't see Yeah, can't see him ever falling out of favor with anyone. I mean, I guess <laughs> I guess the frame framework of this conversation moved a bit. Like obviously Morehead's not going to go back there. Um, no. But like yeah, he the assumption is he will get a job somewhere else. And that's why I think the question that has to be raised and one that has been raised before and met by Cristobal is who's the replacement. Um, and I mean, that, that is really one of the ultimate marks of a great program is being able to replace guys that you lose. We say this all the time about Bama. I mean, we are going to start saying it all the time about Cristobal because when you're a good team, your coaches leave. Not your head coach, maybe, but everybody else is going to get poached. Um, <laughs> So yeah, that's all I have to say. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what fans have to prepare themselves for. And yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, it's still up in there a little bit. I think, like you said, if I had to bet, Avalos is probably going to Boise State uh, as well. But, you know, Choate could still get it. Um, I don't think it's a done deal. He's They're kind of co-lead candidates is the sense. Um, people are kind of giving out a little bit. So we'll see. But, you know, if it's not a conversation that we have to have this year, it's probably one we'll have next year or the year after that. So might as well get used to it. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. Uh, I don't really have any other news to touch on. Um, we'll do sort of a season wrap-up, like, all-encompassing thing next episode. And then we... I mean, we plan on still recording through the off season, so stick with us. We got some interesting stuff planned. Uh, for those who listened to the last episode, no. Um, <laughs> and yeah, you got you got anything else? No, that's it. All right. See you on the other side. Go ducks. Go ducks. Go ducks.